Welcome to Across the Pond, Marketing Transformed, a podcast that explores ways to transform your business and marketing strategy, whether you are a rising star, entrepreneur, or experienced professional. A show packed with stories to inspire success and build a growth mindset for you and your company. Featuring global brand CMOs, transformation experts, and business founders, your co-hosts, Chris Lawson in London, UK, and Samuel Money across the pond in Philadelphia, USA. Hey, Chris. How are you doing, sir? I'm good, Sam. How's your week been? It's been good. It's been very good, actually. I, I did actually say hello about four times, but I was on mute, Chris. But, you know, that's how it goes. So I think I've, got, I've had too much coffee or not enough for this week's show. Excellent. Excellent. Well, um, shall we crack on then? Yep. Let's, let's get into it. This week's episode synthesizes the past three episodes by weaving together the vision and mission, brand positioning, and insights into action into a, what we're calling the marketing playbook. It's not about the archaic or traditional annual planning type of bureaucracy. We're going to cover what is a playbook actually is, and specifically for marketing. So if you were to search the term marketing playbook, which you might be doing as listening to this show, you're probably going to find two, 2 million, 20 million, in fact, results on 20 Google. 20 million. That's amazing. Yeah. So there's a lot of information out 20 there. 20 million so and think- one now, Sam. Well, exactly that, but ours is going to be number one in search on Google, I hope, <laughs> eventually, because we're going to make it simpler. We're going to, get, we're going to help you see that, you know, the, the idea of a marketing play, it's about a handbook, a user guide, just the ways of working about getting things done for you, your brand, your business, your company. It's the idea of codifying and packaging it up. And it, that might actually be counterintuitive because, hey, doesn't everyone know what they're supposed to do already? Well, perhaps. Isn't it better to write it down and ensure that you've actually got a joined up document that's available to all employees and internal stakeholders, external stakeholders, and if you're brave enough to share it with the broad world out there? It's actually uh, an approach that HubSpot have done. Uh, they they talked about the fact that in the early days, they were sharing everything with the world. They were in startup mode. And it was very common, but then they became this multi-million dollar business and they thought, oh, this is competitive info. This is secret. So we, we shouldn't share it. But they, they came around to think, actually, let's adopt the growth mindset. Let's put it out there. One of the examples that I like to use is the ecosystem approach. And the Apple versus Google is one that we're probably very familiar with. Google, the Android, is a very open system where everyone's allowed in. You can access it. You can scale to scale to a level where the world can participate. Everyone can bring their approach. Whereas Apple is more of a closed system, and they have their own standards to protect their brand, intellectual property, and how they think about relationships. And basically, you have to fit into their point of view in terms of design, style, aesthetics. And so the, the software that they have is closed and designed for iOS and um, Safari and AirDrop all, all work together. Whereas Google is essentially more inclusive because it allows anyone and everyone to participate. Yeah. Yep, good point, Sam. Um, I like that. Um, and there's some famous examples of a playbook that playbooks that have been out there for the years. AOL back in the day, they explained how to organise culturally. And this was a precursor for setting up squads. And the Apple Playbook, as you mentioned before, focuses on some sort of pretty well defined principles around consistency and simplicity. And and yep. As we all know, Apple keeps it simple. That design has been one of the hallmarks of the Apple products um, right from the the start. Um, But also other areas as well are are very disciplined in their approach for shopping experience. Um, None of the products are hidden behind boxes. It's very physical. It's very immersive experience. 
pricing. Uh, Apple gets quite a hard time sometimes, I think, around uh, being criticized for their high price. But that being said, Apple never involves itself in pricing wars as well. And uh, and even on a sort of a social media presence as well, desp- um, despite never sending out a single tweet from the Apple account created in about 2011, I believe, um, it's absolutely dominated the Twitter's, Twitter sphere. So it just shows you really that it's been a, a, a sort of definitely a, a cultural beacon, I think, in terms of how to stick to your playbook. And I, I see playbooks in a number of ways. I think it's the, the blueprint and the framework to follow. It's the instruction manual for those that have done it before. Uh, and we believe that knowledge shared, it becomes even more powerful. So this is about using a combination of all the knowledge that is out there um, and delivering on something that is is even greater. But, but Sam, we got to call out the Emperor's New Clothes here, which, as we like to do. Ten years ago, we would have called this a strategic marketing plan, wouldn't we? Mm, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah or, a, or a business thesis. Uh, so we have to be clear that actually some of these ideas are, are not new. And there's also a contradiction where a lot of it is templated, but then it's meant to be individual as well. Uh, and we, we'll talk a bit about that unique point um, later on. There are elements that are going to make the difference to you because they work for your organization and for your market and because one size does not fit all. Um, and increasingly, there are content playbooks, team playbooks, playbooks about playbooks. So my advice is cut through it, work out what is useful for you and ditch the rest. Um, so Sam, what 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 needs to be in there without any doubt? Well, before we even move forward, I, I know that we've literally spent the last few minutes referencing two of the biggest companies in the world in Apple and Google. So let's set things straight and saying, of course, they're there as inspiration because we experience and can access and learn from them in a very visceral way. But it's all about thinking big and starting small. So as we go through the action plan, we're going to really focus on how you can apply and influence it from where you are, wherever you are. Good. Excellent. So so step one, I think, really responds to that. Uh, check that there isn't a perfectly adequate approach out there already. You have to ask yourself how much true innovation is there in the world versus a reshaping, a recrafting of someone else's idea. I believe in relentless reinvention, even if it's quite hard to say. So before you start chucking out a tried and tested format, look at what it is out there from your competitors and who you aspire to be and use that and add your own twist. Um, Now, this information is not always labelled business playbooks as handily as that. It comes under many guises. It can come under the guise of a CEO's letter or an um, annual report or an interview or a memo to staff or an internal way of working document. It really doesn't matter. What, what you need to do is sift through it and see what works. So, for example, if we take the, the world of podcasting as a as a um, case study there. It's still pretty murky uh, and, and evolving fast with no real clear strategy for success unless you have got a strong product or good exposure. How, however, there's enough valued opinion out there that that playbook is is certainly starting to form. You know, step one, get your product sorted first. Do 10 to 20 runs or episodes before you get happy with it. For distribution, Focus on Apple and Spotify as they're the majority of the market, but don't neglect Google because that is growing fast. 
Transcripts are important for SEO. Bring on guests to aid distribution. I could go on. Actually, Sam, why haven't we brought on any guests yet? Well, that's actually a great point because we are getting requests right now, but we started off by really focusing on getting the product right, focusing on getting the transcripts and some video content out there, creating something that was our own and actually testing and learning what does and doesn't work. And then we can focus on backing that up by bringing experts that can allow us to go deeper and get more diverse points of view and create more debate. So that's been our approach so far. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, And then the step two is about working out those table stakes, the stuff that has to be there. You're defining your target audience, your vision and mission, your overall goal, your quarterly planning process. So you, you really can't escape this, can you, Sam? You, you can't skip five pages into the manual, uh, <laughs> however much you might want to get to the end. And, and do you know how many times they are skipped? I, I must admit, even now, as I'm working through sort of organizations that have been around a long time there's a, there's a number that are try to skip those um, first steps so again using this podcast as an example we wanted to focus on entrepreneurs rising stars cmos who wanted a different take in the world we wanted it to ultimately create a piece of learning um, but we have ambitions that one day this won't just be a podcast and so on and so on and we do actually review what we do quarterly, but we don't judge it just based on the, the number of downloads, the qualitative feedback, how how it comes up in meetings that we're in, uh, the feedback we get from people starting out in the industry is, is certainly the measures of success that we look at. And then step three is about working out your secret sauce. Um, and this is this is what makes you unique, what differentiates you. Um, it's that extra added bit of spice that people can't really put their, their finger on. And this could be about how you operate, including your culture. It could be about how well you understand your customers and an insight or a way of getting that insight that no one else has. Or it could be about product superiority. Uh, you know, to, to give you one example, um, Kef speakers, Sam, have you heard of them? I have heard of them, but I, I think they're slightly out of my price range, Chris. Yeah, well, well, I have to say, you know, I, I have the pleasure of owning a pair, and uh, it's a, definitely a passion product I've saved up for a long time on. But they are, you know, they're, they're um, based on tens and tens of years of audio engineering, and uh, originally were, came out Kent Engineering and Foundry, sort of back from sort of BBC Engineers, sort of 1960s. Um, but they, they have a really sort of superior sound. But but I think what they do very well is that they don't rest on their laurels. Um, it's striving to actually improve what they do over and over again, and they're constantly referenced in what hi-fi. Um, so, yeah, worth checking out if you're a, an audiophile. So if you think what our secret source is for the podcast, well, I don't know any other that is giving two perspectives from across the pond. We, we certainly set out to do that. I also don't know any others where they've got CMO level insight, which is now being applied in a startup scale up culture, as well as being used as a learning vehicle for a broad range of companies in the States. Um, that That's certainly been important. And and we we were quite clear that what we didn't want to do was create yet another podcast that uh, fell into the, the mix of the marketing ones that were out there. So, you know, we're still striving to do that, but it, hopefully that gives you a demonstration of how you try and approach differentiation. 
And it's important, don't settle for second best when it comes to this part of the ingredients. Um, eventually, everyone can work out how to copy. So you have to rely on being the best and keep improving and looking forward rather than over your shoulder. Yeah, I like that, Chris. It's that momentum, that inspiration, that aspiration to be constantly improving. And as you do that, I think that needs nicely onto step four, which is decide who decides and decide when you decide. Hmm. And this is more in terms of putting into practice and making it happen for real in your business, in your organization, in your division, in your department. Let the experts actually be an expert, i.e. listen to them. There's often a lot of people who've been hired who are really smart, so actually listen to them. And the mantra I keep coming back to is the person closest to the data gets to make the decision. They have to be able to make the decision. That's the real key rule that fuels collaboration and gets the best out of everyone's expertise. What that also does is it actually drives accountability down into the organization, into the team members. Even if you're a four or six or 10 person organization, it really pushes the accountability into those people to to ensure that the value actually comes out and you can efficiently um, and effectively utilize the resources versus hoarding power at the top or only the few elite who get to make decisions. And the other element of this is when you're deciding who decides and decides when you decide is know who has veto rights or not and fight to eliminate the vetoers mm. because this is such a derailer for organizations of, and companies of all sizes. Obviously, obviously it tends to be the larger, the more bureaucratic you are and you tend to find holdups and, and um, folks who are just in the way of decisions. And I always get agitated when someone says, it's not a no, but Okay, so if it's not a no, is it a yes? No, it was, well, maybe. So a maybe is the worst position to be in. I've talked about that from a brand perspective and again from decision making. Mm. It leaves you in limbo. It's a barrier to moving forward. So you've got to find a way to avoid stalemates and stagnation. Therefore, it's about the ability to respond to change and move quickly. It means empowering people uh, and uh, talking to each other. So it's not having this 50-page complicated brief from senior leaders, but actually it's set up in an agile way where you're working together interactively to collaborate, find out by yourselves what's required and get to the best solution fast. It's about delivering small increments frequently. There's no set end date or specified d date, which is usual traditional in a, in a waterfall type decision, because now you can actually allow the project to change or devolve and to accommodate real customer feedback. So you're designing for real customers, not this theoretical person or organization out there. And, and that's a very different to that tops down waterfall approach. The other idea here is radical transparency and candor. And I could go on for minutes and minutes about radical transparency means you can actually search that term and it's all about the openness of organizational processes and data and that mindset of being open and transparent and collaborative and sharing it and not hoarding it that's a very big shift to in, 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 infuse within the, the framework and within this playbook that you're having mm. Yeah, I'll check that out, actually. Yeah, so go ahead and search that and realize that that's, it's a hard thing to actually embrace, but a beautiful thing when you do it. So step five, then, is ensure that risk is your friend, not your enemy. Now, I know there's a lot of risk managers out there, probably legal folks throwing things at their throwing the phone or throwing things at the laptop right now. So don't share this episode with your legal or risk people. Hint, hint, maybe you, you want to. Because it's about breaking the habit that we tend to have in escalating decisions to the VP or the CMO. Or we always want to escalate things up to, the, to a decision maker. But we actually need to be able to apply this marketing playbook with momentum. So we know that 
the level of risk tends to be driven by who is involved in the organization and who will have input and and sh- who's sharing the data. So I like to think of a risk continuum where you just think about a, an axis from left to right with zero on the left, which is very low to zero risk, and then 100 on the other side, which is the most extreme, the biggest risk you could possibly imagine. And realize that not everything's 100. In fact, most things are really very low risk. Yet decisions are slowed down because we just have this mixed up um, idea of what time, certainty and tolerance is actually required for the decision. And this is very controversial in companies I've worked at. And I've striven to really fight this battle to ensure, okay, if I'm making a decision or if we're making the decision, well, okay, let's think about the risk continuum. How much time do we really need to spend days on this decision? If it's a website change, is it that controversial? Can't we just make it and learn? And the reason I say that is because do we really need to be certain about the change? Are we going to going slow because we we don't know. Well, if we don't know, surely there's a way to apply a test and learn opportunity. Mm. So it's that time, that certainty. And then what's our tolerance for getting it wrong? Often, there's surely an opportunity for a test and learn budget, even if it's 3% of the budget or even 5% of the budget. But that means that you actually have permission to move forward because you've got money and resources there. You can make a mistake and then you could course correct versus slowing things down to ensure accuracy. So that's the, the, the fifth step. Now, just, just on six. that one, before you get to six, Sam, I think sometimes it's not necessarily about the amount of budget, it's about the amount of resource, isn't it? So it's whether that 5% is the resource or budget uh, money, isn't it, I suppose, in a way? Yeah, absolutely. So resources is the, is the consideration. So that could be time, money, people, um, um, you know, quantity of people. But it's all about thinking, is this really risky? And having thought that in advance, not just in the moment. And often, as I say, you'll realize that this actually is isn't that risky or that controversial, but our processes mean we take a month when actually it doesn't need to be that way. So yeah. you thought about risk and making it your friend, not your enemy and designing for that. And so the final step, step six is build and shape it collaboratively. Now it's a constant theme we've gone about and it's all about focusing on the how. In a lot of marketing organizations, yes, the CMO may communicate it to the team members, but that's really only the starting point. You've got to have a multitude of presenters and participants in applying this playbook. Yes, it's critical for senior leaders to role model. That's absolutely key, but it needs to be interdependent. And remember, radical transparency means that you'll have to face up to what's not working with your agencies mm. and having that honest discussion, what's not working with customer services, not working, not what's not working with sales and marketing and other functions. So you have to apply this playbook with what's not working and fix the broken things versus suppressing them or hiding them or excluding them from, from the approach. So you're going to have to immerse in ways of work sessions. And remember steps three and four, as we described before, you've really got to invest time to do that because a lot of discussion and debate will be needed. And it's not to drag it out, but you need to invest that time to do that well. And then you're identifying additional training requirements or templates or processes. Remember, you're trying to keep it simple, but training isn't something that's decided at the end. You're designing all all this with training in mind so that you actually may not need as much training. If you keep it simple, that will avoid the 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 complexity that comes at the end and so you're also thinking about how you're going to track this how you're going to measure how you how you're going to know that this is happening and this is this is um, going on and you're going to socialize it and publish it to the world 
And so when I talk about the the training, I, I in prior roles have been in, in marketing capability, marketing excellence type roles. And in my experience, it, it was really about shifting from this big multi-page binders with 900 slides and to design something which is more agile, light, and flexible. And one example went from 24 tools and templates in this binder, and we simplified and evolved them to seven steps. 950 slides became an eighth of the size. There was no keywords or glossary because we weren't using complicated or obscure terms. Everyone could understand it. And I could go to Canada or Denmark or, the, or other parts of the US, China, Malaysia, Mexico, and everyone actually got it because they could apply it. It was written in simple language and not business speak. Yeah. Well, that's a great example, I think. Um, one thing I wanted to pick up on, Sam, there was when you talked about socialize it and publish it for the world. Um, one example we came across when we were researching this episode was a organization called Hanno, um, who set themselves up to be the digital health um, designers, and that's Hanno.co. Um, and uh, and the founder actually wrote a blog post back in 2014, and I thought he brought it to life brilliantly. He said, too many people, um, that's a scary step, giving away all your secrets and allowing your competitors to copy you. We feel differently. It keeps us on our toes and gives us a huge competitive advantage. For me, trying to gain competitive advantage through secrecy is a strategy that's far less appealing than the route we've gone down. There's only so long you can succeed by exploiting marketing, market inefficiencies and taking advantage of a little mm -hmm. extra bit of knowledge we possess. Eventually, you need to compete by being better and continuously improving the way that you do things. And, and I, I thought that summed it up really nicely, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, be really interesting to check in with them six years on and just sort of say, <laughs> is it paying off for you, of course? Right, Maybe we right. can follow up on that. So, Absolutely. So let, let's let's do what we always do. Let's think, what, what is that one thing that you can do um, when you get in the office tomorrow? And that's about mapping the playbooks of those that you admire and work out how that translates to your business or your role, whatever the level that you're at. And, and it's also useful, I think, to leave something, to leave a legacy as well, um, if you win the lottery and leave. But remember, it shouldn't be a straitjacket. This is very much a, a guidelines um, and something for you to be able to build upon over time. Um, so that, that's what I would advise to do first thing in the, the morning tomorrow, Sam. So why don't you talk us through the three key takeaways of this session? Yeah, this, ep this episode's been quite detailed, actually, with a lot of approaches to, to apply for a marketing playbook. But let's keep it to three things. Think big and start small. We gave some inspirational examples from, from large brands, but it's all about applying that because we, we've provided some smaller brands, smaller company examples. Think big and start small. Number two is actually keep it simple so that everyone can understand and apply it. And if you're a small or a solopreneur, yes, you have to write it down. It can't all stay in your head. You have to document it. And then thirdly, secrecy and keeping it all to yourself might actually hold you back. Stop hiding stuff and stop hiding your philosophy and actually focus on sharing it with the world. Yeah, I like that. Um, I think that's, that's nicely put, actually. So next week's episode, Sam, we're, we're, um, we're moving out of a foundation layer and, and we're starting to look at some of the the skills that are required. And, and the first one is very much about that sort of top of the funnel marketing around acquisition and growth. 
what to do, when to do, and how to do it. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna get down there and, and and make sure that we give you a nice, clear action plan of the, the key things that we uh, to focus on, as well as a a few sort of extra learnings that we've we've found along the way as well. So it should be good. Yeah, great. We're moving from the cornerstones into the skills part. I'm really excited about that, Chris. So until next week, have a great week across the pond. Well, that's it for this week's show. We hope you enjoyed it. Find more by visiting marketingtransform.com and click on the subscribe link. If you listen via Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud or anything else, then click on follow, subscribe or type Marketing Transformed into search. We're a new show, so please leave us a review, comment or ask a question. We'd love to hear from you. Get in touch at marketingtransformedshow at gmail.com.